Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you. And we, we thank you that you've shown us in your word that worship doesn't begin at this point in the service, but worship has been everything we've said and done, the offering, the, the prayers, the reading from your word, the, the preaching of your word, the proclamation, Lord. We give it to you, all of it, as we cry glory to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, who laid the foundations of the world and everything in them. We recognize you tonight, Father God, above anything and everything in creation. You are God. So we give it to you tonight. We thank you for your word. Give to you of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Since the fall of mankind in the garden, men have a history of seeing ourselves as the center of the universe, don't we? If we, if we think about it for a moment, we've got, at one time, great minds thought that the sun rotated around the earth, Right? Why? Because we're here. Uh, According to New Age religious philosophy, every person can be their own God, right? Even in Christendom, many worship songs are centered on the believer. Uh, Our experience, our devotion, what we get out of this relationship with God in and of themselves, not necessarily wrong or bad, but when they become the focus of everything, and we exalt ourselves in this whole relationship, that's when it becomes a problem. For, for many Christians, even it, it, it leaks its way into our prayer life as we pray to God as if he is some kind of Santa Claus who's supposed to answer our every wish, or some kind of fairy godfather that's just supposed to give us what we want. Well, Psalm 29 is here to set us straight, to get us refocused back where we should be, to recognize God for just who he is, that we are not the why or how of existence. Tonight we're going to see that God has always been holy and worthy of worship. God is the reason for our existence. God draws us back to himself and makes us to know the truth of who he is. God leads us and guides us in the knowledge of him. God is the final judge. And we are ultimately completely dependent upon him. He is God, and we are not. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Psalm 29. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 29, starting at the first verse, says, Ascribe to the Lord... O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. 
The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. All in his temple cry, glory! For the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. There's a reason that when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he began with the words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer began entirely God-centered, God-focused. And it remained so throughout the rest of the prayer. And here in Psalm 29, we see again that God has always been holy and worthy of worship. We see the word ascribe, ascribe to the Lord, the glory to his name, ascribe to the Lord uh, uh, strength and and glory and, and ascribe to him. To ascribe is to declare. It, it is to proclaim, to, uh, to admit to, uh, to attribute to someone or something a certain quality. And the psalm calls us to look at God and, and just declare and admit to and confess out loud the glory of who God is. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Did you notice the all capitals on Lord? What does that mean? It means it's Yahweh, that name of God that they, they would not write out. They'd, they'd replace it with Lord. They wouldn't speak it, so they would say Lord instead, Yahweh. And what does that name Yahweh mean? We need to declare to the Lord the glory due his name, right? What does that that name Yahweh mean? It means I am. When he came to Moses and said, Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. That, That name, it has such wonderful, infinite and eternal implications. I am. I know we've been through talking about the name of God before in here, but I want this to not be lost on us. His name has eternal and infinite implications. He is the omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent one who stands apart from even time itself. Is God in the past? I am. Is God in the present? I am. Is God in the future? I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come. God is the very creator of physical time and space. He's the creator of the universe in which time and space exist. Therefore, he existed before 
time and space as we know it and experience it, didn't he? He created it. He put it into place. He is not like us. We are created in his image, not he in ours. He is not dependent upon time. He's not dependent upon space for his existence. He transcends them. He stands apart from them. Time and space are dependent upon him for their existence. He exists within time and space, yes, because he laid down their foundations, and yet he has always existed before finite creation. Therefore, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. God, time, he stands apart from it. He can divide a day into a thousand years. He can take a thousand years and see it as a day. God stands outside of time, and David reminds us in Psalm 139, as he refers to several time words, he says, you know when I sit down and I rise up, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Glory. As glorious as our experience of God is in the cross and in the resurrection, those are glorious things, aren't they? That, that knowledge is too wonderful for me. As, as glorious as those things are, that is, that is merely a, a display of the very glory of God as he existed before those things happened. He was love lived out in the Godhead before he created the foundations of the earth. Before we sinned, before we needed salvation, he was God Almighty, living out that love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit before time and space existed. There are two beautiful descriptions in Scripture of of God and his glory in heaven glory of who he is and what it's like to stand in his throne room is revealed to us in passages like Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. If you want you can flip over there. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. When Isaiah was caught up to the throne room of God in this passage we see the awe of everybody in the throne room in the presence of God. 
as Isaiah himself, after he sees the things that are described in these first four verses, he, he falls down and says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a sinner amongst sinful people. In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. The length of a king's robe indicating just how great of a king he was. His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And these creatures who were created to be in God's very presence would cover their faces. They didn't dare to look upon the one who created them to be there in his presence because he is that holy. He is that set apart. Flip over to the book of Revelation. Last book in the Bible. Chapter 4. Starting at verse 2. As the Apostle John saw the Lord upon his throne, it's a similar view. He says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease. Never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Before we existed, he is. He is who he is before us. And our worship of him should match who he is and always has been. Verse 2 of Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The splendor of holiness in, in holy array, dressed in holiness. 
God's word calls those who worship God to be holy as he is holy. His people should be holy as he is holy and worship him in holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We are called to holiness in our conduct, holiness in our worship, if only because he is holy but especially in light of Christ, his precious blood spilt on our behalf. But did you notice something about these first two verses? This scene set before us in the first two verses, there isn't a person to be found. It isn't human worship, is it? It says, ascribe to the Lord, verse 1. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. See, apart from us, before us, without us, God is worthy of holy, pure ascription of the truth of who he is, the truth of his attributes, his glory, his strength, the glory due his name. He was worthy of it before he laid down the foundations of the earth, before we existed. See, worship isn't about me. It's about him and who he is. as God was in heaven then he created verse 3 says the voice of the Lord is over the waters the glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters the voice of the Lord is powerful the voice of the Lord is full of majesty it's a picture of creation as the voice of the Lord that breath of God is over the waters. God created. God is the reason for our existence. Counter to human thought, it's as David said, that we are the sheep of his pasture. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, that breath of God, the spirit of God over the waters. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the face of the waters. Here we have in this psalm that picture of creation. He existed eternally worthy of worship, and he created. Verse 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. Can you imagine the power of God to create in a literal six days? Uh, some years ago, I was at an Awana conference, and it was, it was great. It was a good time and some good classes there. And I was reminded there of the extraordinary power required for creation. I, I went to one class where there was a geologist who was teaching the class, and he had gone to Mount St. Helens, and he had studied the, the things that had happened in the uh, volcanic eruption of Mount St. Helens. Does anybody remember that, Mount St. Helens, 1980? Yeah, down in Southern California, uh, you got California, right? Then you got Oregon, and then you got Washington, and Mount St. Helens up in Washington. I remember waking up one morning and seeing ash on the lawn in Southern California and wondering, what is this? And my parents said, Mount St. Helen had erupted. One side of this mountain fell down in seconds followed by an immense explosion. Uh, One um, newscaster said that it it was the force and energy of 1,500. That's 1,500 Hiroshima-style atom bombs came out of the side of this mountain. And if you have a chance, look at some footage online. It's really an amazing thing to watch. And this geologist said that in this brief moment, in this one day, under the right conditions of pressure and temperature, layers of rock formations were created that scientists say it takes millions of years to make these things happen. One day. One natural occurrence. What could God do given six days? People who doubt God's ability to create in six literal days have a couple of problems. First, they don't know their scientific facts and what can happen in one day, a few brief hours. And secondly, they, they don't know God. Nothing will be impossible for him. How awesome and how fearful would it be to actually see the earth formless and void and that voice of God hovering over the waters and to see it come to be everything that it is the mountains rise up and the rivers start to rush and wouldn't it be amazing the voice of the Lord is powerful he spoke God speaks and things that aren't come to be that is power His voice is powerful and full of majesty. He is sovereign over what he has made. That's to say, he is the king over all that he has created. And when God created and he spoke it into existence and it was there, he called it good. And in his loving kindness, he created us. He created man, and he created us with a free will. He wanted man to be able to choose to love him. 
that the love would be a real, honest love and not a robotic love forced upon us that we have to love him in some fashion. But he gave us a free will as he created everything and he called it good. It is good that we can freely choose to love him. And in in that same loving kindness, in that same goodness, he said to Adam, there's one thing I want you to not do. One thing. And we do it every single day. We have taken that which God made good and called good and considered good, and we steep it in sin every single day. And therefore, verse 5 of our psalm, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord comes over the earth and powerfully cries out. The Lord breaks and the Lord makes with his voice. And in doing so, God draws us to a knowledge of the truth of who he is. If we look in the book of Isaiah, we are the cedars of Lebanon. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 6 through 13, it says, For you, God, have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord, from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, did you see that? The cedars of Lebanon. He is against them. He is against all the sin of mankind, all the things that we have dredged his earth up in, all his people in, all of his creation. God speaks out against it. God has seen our sin and our pride, but he refuses to leave us there. He will break us and make us to know that he is God. God sees us in our sinful condition, and in his righteous mercy, he he breaks us and causes us to understand who he is. In his rejection of his people, as is said in that first line of that book of Isaiah, in his rejection of his people, he was disciplining them to restoration. He was making them to know that he alone is God. Not the works of their hands, not the things that they have done, and not they themselves, but he alone 
is God. And he has to do this because we don't seek after God. He makes and he breaks because according to Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. It is God who makes us to know him, who draws us out of the stubbornness of our sin, the stubbornness of our pride, and opens our eyes to the truth of who he is. Sometimes people examine the God of the Old Testament and they say that he is cruel and wrathful to make and break. They fail to understand that it is out of his love for us that he forces us to recognize our sin and that he forces us out of our sin to see who he is. If you have not accepted Jesus as your, as your Savior, perhaps he is using some circumstance in your life to cause you to know that he is God, to make you and to break you. Are you listening? Are you listening to his voice? Sometimes as believers, God uses difficult circumstances in our own lives, doesn't he? to mold us and to shape us to become more like Christ, more like our Savior? Are we prepared to be transformed to the image of our Savior, even if it takes the Lord making and breaking us, making us a little less than comfortable? The good thing is he doesn't leave us there. After opening our eyes to the truth of himself, God leads us and guides us in our knowledge of him. Verse 7 of our psalm tonight. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The scene here is reminiscent of a couple of Old Testament things that happened with Israel uh, that are brought together beautifully in the book of Nehemiah. Go ahead and flip over to the book of Nehemiah. It's a couple books before our psalm here. Nehemiah chapter 9, right before Esther. These two events that I'm talking about where, where God's voice flashes flames of fire. There's a couple of instances of fire in the Old Testament that are just beautifully brought together in this book of Nehemiah here as Israel confesses their sin before God. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting at verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire... In the night, a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. 
You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and the command and commanded them the commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. God showed Israel in a couple of very visible ways, very tangible ways, the truth of who he is, and he guided them by this fire. You see, as Israel traveled through the wilderness from Egypt, through Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, God guided them with a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night that they would know where they were to go, the way in which they were to go, according to Nehemiah. And then they arrived at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. And, and God descends upon the mountain and there is thunder and lightning and a, a trumpet sound and smoke. And God descends on the mountain when? In fire. God descended upon the mountain in fire. That is how he showed himself and expressed himself to the people of Israel. And from that fire, he gave them instructions in his perfect moral law. He guided them. He, he makes us and he breaks us to know the truth of who he is. And then he guides us with his voice, his word given to us that we would know who he is and his ways and the salvation that is available to us. It is all of God and from God. See, because God doesn't open our eyes so that we can know the truth of our sin and then watch hell come for us. He doesn't just open our eyes to the truth and say, good luck with that. But he guides and instructs us from his word that we would know the salvation that he has made available to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we would be a people who would walk with him and follow him, doing the things that he has called us to do, the works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. And having heard his voice, having heard his call to salvation, then we cry out, the voice of the Lord, verse 9 in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth strips, the forest bear, and all in his temple cry. Oh, come on now. Let me try that again. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth strips, the forest bear, and all in his temple cry. Glory. Have you known, have you seen, do you understand the glory of God? Even just in this psalm alone, the dignity, the honor, the worthiness of who he is and what he has done. Having heard this and seen this and know this, those who really know him, we cry out, glory. Because just as we studied in Psalm 23 a couple weeks ago, he is faithful to his namesake. And that is good for us. See, his glory is our good. 
God has always been holy and worthy of worship. He, he is the reason for our existence. God draws us back to himself and God leads us and guides us in the knowledge of him because there will be a day when God will ultimately judge all sin. For his sovereign God of creation, God is the judge. Verse 10 of our psalm, it says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. That flood, those words there are reminiscent of the same words used for the flood of Noah. A flood was sent by God as a judgment upon sin over the earth. It was a temporary wake-up call as to who we are and what we've done. And there's coming a day when all sin will be finally judged. And God will have had enough of it. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 15 and 16, it says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. Either at the cross in Jesus Christ where he drank that cup of wrath for us or in hell for all eternity where we will pay for our sins ourselves, all sin will ultimately be judged either in cro- at the cross, in Christ, or in hell for eternity. One of the two, our sin will be judged because he will not abide by it forever. And in his loving kindness, he continues to give us a choice. But one day we will all realize, every last one of us, the atheist, the believer, Everyone who has ever set foot on this earth, one day we will all realize, like it or not, that we are dependent upon him. See, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 11 of Psalm 29 says, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. If we're going to have strength, if we're going to have peace, if we're going to have anything we have, if we're going to be anything we can be, use any gift we have, it is all going to be because God has given it to us. God has enabled us. God has blessed us. It is all His. He is God. And He is God alone. Before time began, now and forevermore worthy. Let's pray. Father God, you are holy, holy, holy. And even as I stand here and say these words, Lord, I feel so unworthy to express the holiness of who you are. So Lord, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he's given us, that he 
is the one who makes us blameless. He is the one who brings us boldly before your throne. It is in the blood of your son that we approach you and we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Lord, we praise you that you've enjoined us to join in with the angels and declare the holiness of who you are. Lord, that you have made us and broken us to know that you are God and then you've given us your word, your voice to us, calling out to know who you are and to be led in your ways. God, you are good. And we praise your holy name tonight as a family in Christ. We thank you for who you are, what you have done, and your word given to us. We pray your spirit alive and active here in this place amongst us. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.